You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 5. While I rearrange up here. Let's see, I'll make sure I center on the camera because I know when I'm running the camera and it's not centered, it drives me crazy. You're like, I don't even notice. All right, Galatians chapter 5. Good to be here this morning preaching to you. Um, pray for Pastor as he's out of town. Last time I was up here preaching, I said he was at a wellness weekend, and I went on about how important they are, and then I found out he was actually at a wedding, and so I do not know where Pastor is this morning, but I know he's not here, um, but do be in prayer uh, for them. Um, also, I, I, I kinda, I, I'm not sure if it's a compliment. Every time I preach, he's not here. I'm not sure if that's like he doesn't want to hear it, or I'm just going to say he has that much confidence in me that he feels okay leaving while I'm in charge. Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Um, Thankful for each of you that are here. If you're a visitor with us, encourage you. Hopefully we got a uh, visitor packet to you this morning. Uh, whether you be a visitor from out of town, uh, maybe we met you at the fair, maybe your great Aunt Ethel invited you, whatever it might be there. Uh, if you could fill out that uh, connection card that we could just have a record of your visit. And uh, then, of course, any decisions perhaps that you've uh, made, perhaps, uh, following the service or anything you'd like to share with us, we'd love to be able to pray for you as well. Galatians chapter 5 this morning. We'll begin in verse number 22. I have a great opportunity of preaching to you this morning on our Smile More service, or as Pastor likes to call it, our Amazon promotion service. Um, talking about the importance of joy and smiling more in a world that we live in where so often there's not a lot of that. Um, thinking about that last song that we sang, uh, Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor, that anchor that will never be um, removed. I don't have to tell you all in here that we have a lot of craziness going on in our world, right? A lot of storms, whether it be from the outside world, whether it be our own difficulties that we're, that we're dealing with. And in the midst of those storms, I'm so thankful that we have Christ who is that, that sure and steady anchor that's always faithful, always true, never going to move. And we can hold on to that and be thankful for that and a lot thankful for his faithfulness. Galatians chapter 5 this morning, verse number 22 and verse number 23, we're going to take a look at and ask a simple question that each of us can evaluate in our own heart. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 22, Paul says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Focusing this morning on this, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And I want to ask you this question this morning got joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning, God. I thank you for your goodness to each of us, Lord. Lord, in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to pay the ultimate penalty for all of our sins, Lord, so that we could have an eternity in heaven with you. And Lord, help us never to, to get over that, to lose the joy of that, Lord, not just for our salvation, Lord, but the fact that you are our sure and steady anchor this morning, Lord in the midst of trials that we're going through, whether they be financial difficulties, medical diagnosis, family troubles. 
Lord, every trial that we have, we can look to you, we can fix our eyes upon you, we can anchor ourselves in you, and I'm so thankful for that. Lord, this morning as we look at your word, as we look at the importance of joy, Lord, and how it should be in each of our lives, I pray that you would help us to, Lord, uh, eliminate distractions for these few moments. Lord, help us each to look inside our own hearts and, uh, Lord, ask ourselves where our joy is. Do we have it? Have we lost it? How can it be found, Lord? I pray that you give me wisdom as I speak, Lord. May you be honored and glorified through all that's said. And all that's done this morning is in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Got joy. How many of you remember those Got Milk commercials? Anybody in here? A number of you. And it was interesting as I was looking uh, through these Got Milk commercials, they have all the different athletes nowadays that have, you know, milk mustaches and such. Um, but as I was uh, looking at, you remember the original Got Milk commercial? And I was reading about this commercial and I remember watching it and it was, it was hysterical um, to watch. Um, the commercial showed this gentleman walking throughout his house, and he has all of this uh, memorabilia and different, different statues and different um, posters all about Alexander Hamilton. And, you know, he was a big fan of this guy and, and, and loved him. His whole house is filled with stuff about Alexander Hamilton. And as the commercial goes on, he's listening to the radio, and all of a sudden they have this kind of quiz go on during the radio, and they ask a question, and the question they would ask, then they would call someone random and if they answered the question correctly, they won $10,000. And so this guy's sitting there listening to the radio, and he's eating a plain peanut butter sandwich. Now, I don't know how many of you eat like a plain peanut butter sandwich. Mine has got to have some jelly with it. Strawberry, not grape. All right, that's just for the record. But he's eating this plain, sticky, dry peanut butter sandwich. And so he's eating this sandwich, and he hears the question on the radio. And the question is this, who shot Alexander Hamilton? Obviously, this guy knows right away it's Aaron Burr. And so all of a sudden, as he's eating the sandwich, he, he hears his phone ring, and he picks it up, and it's the radio. And uh, they ask him the question, who shot Alexander Hamilton? Now, he knows the answer to this question, and he tries to say Aaron Burr, but all he does is mumble because he has this dry, sticky peanut butter sandwich in his mouth. And he don't know what he's saying. And so he's trying to get the answer out, and they can't understand him at all, obviously. And so he runs to the fridge, and he gets a jug of milk, or a carton of milk, and he goes to pour the milk into the glass to help wash this down. And there's just this little trickle of milk, just not enough to wash this sandwich down at all. And you can see the guy getting frustrated. And so he's over and over trying to say, Aaron Burr, Aaron Burr. But instead he goes, and finally, because they can't understand him, they hang up and you just hear him screaming in the background as as the whole screen goes black. And the question comes up and says this, got milk. And it's hysterical to watch. Um... And can I say this? A lot of people in our world today, both Christians and unsaved, are a lot like the man in that commercial. Living in frustration because there's something missing in their lives. And believe it or not, it isn't milk, but there's something they need, and what they need is joy. Paul speaks of joy as one of the fruits of the Spirit in our scripture here this morning. And Paul is writing to the church in Galatia here um, in chapter 5, and he's talking to them about living a life in the Spirit. Or in other words, living a life that allows the Holy Spirit to control them, to indwell them, to empower them, live a life that God has called them to live. And so he's writing to the church telling them how to live in 
the Spirit. In other words, live a Christian life where we refuse to give in to our sinful desires. Because that's a common struggle all of us have, right? That's the nature of mankind is to give in to our desires. Paul here writes that the only, only the Holy Spirit can empower us to live a life that produces fruit. And we read in this passage all of these different fruits of the Spirit here, and all of them, the only way we can get them, the only way they're produced in our life is through the Holy Spirit working inside of us. See, when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, when he saves us, when we accept his son Jesus, when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, right? Live inside of us, and we have eternity that begins right there, a forever home with Jesus Christ in heaven one day to look forward to. But eternity begins for us right there. But it doesn't just stop at salvation. Instead, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and he empowers us. He gives us the ability to live as he's called us, as God has called us to live. See, when you look at this passage here and you begin to read the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, all these things, there is no way that we can have those fruit without the Holy Spirit. We could talk about love, and we use the word in love in a lot of different ways, right? We talk about, I love pizza. I love pizza. Talk about, I, you know, I love this, this, uh, this, this group, or I love this location that we go on vacation to. I love a lot of different things. But the love it's talking about here is a love that God showed us that's an unconditional love. You realize that you cannot have an unconditional love without God's help? For those of you that are married in this room, you say, I love my spouse unconditionally. Well, husbands... How loving were you the last time they accidentally burnt dinner? Wives, how loving were you the last time they left their socks right beside the laundry basket? See, these things here, that they're called the fruit of the Spirit, are things that we can only have with the Holy Spirit living in our, in our, inside of us and controlling us as well. And might I add that these are the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. What I mean by that is this. It seems simple. But when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, we get all of those fruit. These fruit of the Spirit, are, it's not an a la carte tray. Like, you know, I'll, I'll take a, a slice of this love he's talking about and, you know, this heaping cup of gentleness, but I'll pass on the long-suffering because we all know the long-suffering is never a fun thing. These are all things that are given to us from the Holy Spirit here. And so in chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now, some folks have a problem understanding just what joy is. What exactly is joy? They have a difficulty understanding exactly what joy is here. I'll give you an example here. When missionaries in the northern part of Alaska, you know, where the Eskimos are, as I was reading about this, were trying to get the Bible translated, they had some difficulties. See, when you go to translate a Bible into any culture, there can be some difficulties, right? Because maybe uh, they don't have a, a word for a, a particular thing that we would use. Um, and, and there's difficulty in translating there because languages and cultures don't always have necessarily the same words. And this was the case um, with the Eskimos up there. And what's interesting is I read this, there was no word in the Eskimo language for joy. And so and as they were trying to translate joy biblically, they drew from experience, what they would understand to be joy. And as they watched, they saw that the happiest, the most joyful moments in those Eskimo villages were in the evening when they fed their sled dogs. And they'd go out and the dogs would yelp and wag their tails and get all excited. And so out of that experience, they pulled the word from joy, 
wagging their tails. And so when you translate the passage where it says the disciples after the resurrection saw Jesus and they were full of joy, for the Eskimos that would read, when the disciples saw Jesus, they wagged their tails. <laughs> full of joy. And if so, I guess if you ever go to this part of Alaska, if you're a Christian, you, know, you get back, make sure you walk around wagging your tails. I'm not sure how that works exactly. But that idea of joy, and I noticed I didn't say happiness. There is a difference between happiness and joy, right? We sometimes use those words interchangeably, but they're very, very different. You see, happiness is dependent upon circumstances. Uh, You can be happy sometimes on life when everything is going well, whether you're a Christian or not because I have good health, or my family is healthier, I just got a promotion at my job, or everything seems to be going well for me. You can be happy and not necessarily be a Christian, but joy is different. Happiness is something that is external. Joy is an internal thing. Happiness is based on chance. Joy is based on choice. Happiness is based on circumstances, but joy is based on Christ. And so in God's word, one of the first things apparent to me is this. God wants his people to be joyful. God wants his people to be joyful. Now, over my years of working with teens, I, I, I remember speaking to many teens that are afraid to dedicate their lives to Christ because they're afraid that if they really go all in on this Christianity thing, they're going to be miserable. As if God doesn't want his people to be joyful and full of joy. And yet we see as we look in scripture over and over the exact opposite. God desires for each of us to have joy, not just regular joy, but overflowing joy, to be full of joy. We'll see that in a passage here. In fact, I think one of the great mysteries in life is that as you look at the Christian community, you see a lack of joy. And I just scratch my head. You know, it's easy to go say, I go to Walmart and I see a lot of people that aren't very joyful. Now, I don't know about you, but I can be quite unjoyful at Walmart as well because of all the self-checkout and there's never anything you want there at all. But we can say, I go out into the world and I see there's not a lot of joy taking place. But can I share with you something that I think I'm just as guilty of? On Sunday mornings, while everyone is singing, I operate the cameras, so I see everybody that's sleeping, all right? Um, I I operate the cameras, and sometimes, instead of focusing on just the four folks up here, I'll be like, oh, you know, I'll look throughout the audience to see some um, that are are joyfully singing. Maybe, you know, do a a shot like that sometimes. And sometimes, as I'm perusing the, the, uh, the auditorium, I think, that person could use just a little bit more joy. Or maybe I should pray for them, because they look like their dog died. And maybe, hopefully, their dog didn't die. But it's not just in the world that we see a lack of joy. Sadly, so often... It's in Christians as well. And God desires for us to live a life that is full of joy. We ought to be the most joyful people in the world because we have hope. We have Jesus Christ. It's an old saying, but it's true. Every day is just another day in eternity for us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have so many reasons to have joy, and yet sometimes we are such an unjoyful people. If you turn over with me to John chapter 15, look at this for a moment. Over in John 14 and 15, Jesus is teaching the disciples. And in chapter 14, he's given them this assurance that when he's gone, although he has to leave, he will return for them. And he tells them in the same chapter, you remember where he says in 14 verse 6, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. 
And then he goes on and tells them that the Holy Spirit will be sent to, to empower them, to be an advocate who's always going to be with them. And then in chapter 15, he talks about the assurance that they can have if they just remain in him, or the word says abide in him. The idea of trusting in him, and he tells them that he'll be sharing them. Look in verse number 11, he says this, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be, what's the last word there? Full. That your joy might be full. As Christians, ladies and gentlemen, we should be overflowing with joy. We should be overflowing with joy. It's number one if you're taking notes, if you have a bulletin along with you. Number one is this, joy lost. Joy lost. How can we not have joy in our lives? This is the first day or the next day of eternity for a Christian. We have so much to look forward to, and I think that for many Christians, they've lost the joy of their salvation. Notice that I didn't say that they have lost their salvation, but maybe they've lost the joy that salvation brings to their lives. We should be known as the people that are just weirdly joyful. When things don't go right, yet we still have a joy. We have a reason to be joyful even when things aren't necessarily going well. I was joking with, I've, I told you some of the story, and I'm sure many of you are probably wondering, what in the world happened to my head? I mean, just this spot, not, none of the rest. I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, and, and my wife told me, of course, you know, don't tell the old story. Oh, yeah, she hit me, although I'm sure everybody probably thought that and joked about that already. But this past week, um, me and Pastor were doing some work on the outside of the church building. We were drilling some holes to put some security lights on uh, outside. And so we had to use one of those big hammer drills, you know, like a manly thing, you know. Uh, uh, uh. And because um, we thought we were being men this whole time. And so we were, we were, uh, we had to do three different lights. And so the first one we got up and uh, Pastor was drilling the first hole. And it was, I guess, funny at the time now because I didn't think about this. He was drilling and it got stuck somewhere. And so it has a lot of torque on it. So it kind of kicked and it knocked his glasses off. And so I was at the bottom of the ladder, and I'm trying to think, should I be up on the ladder so I can like, kind of hold him on, or should I be at the bottom of the ladder so I give him some like, cushion when he falls? You know, I couldn't quite decide which one to do there. And uh, so he, he had done it, and then I, we had gotten to the last hole, and um, I was drilling the last hole. He was in the side of the building doing some things there, and I was up on the ladder, and I was laughing about this with John Candle because it happened twice. I was sitting there and I was drilling and all of a sudden I got stuck in one spot and just kind of twisted and it hit me a little bit. And I was like, okay, you know, I need to be careful, but I'm not going to be defeated by this. And so I go in and go for one more time. And you know how they got that long handle on those hammer drills so you can push with it? That thing is also a weapon. And, and so I push and it got caught and just the torque turned it and the handle just smacked me right in the face. Um, and it, it was all big and swollen up and um, bleeding, of course. And at that moment, I thought to myself, um, wasn't exactly happy, you know. Um, didn't put a smile on my face. I did get off the ladder for a moment. Um, and even in things like that, you know, we can be joyful. Not that it hit me, but we can still have a joy that's based not upon circumstances, but by choice. Just how do we lose that joy? How is it that we lose joy? You remember when you first got saved? It seemed like you were so excited to tell everybody else. So excited to do as much for the Lord as you could. And yet over time, sometimes, if we're not careful, we lose that joy. And I think there's several ways that we can lose our joy. The first way is this, unrepentant sin. 
You know, as Christians, we've been saved by the grace of God uh, through faith in Christ, and our sins are forgiven, right? Both past, present, and future, our sins are forgiven. They've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we've been saved. The Apostle John even writes in 1 John 1, 9 this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sin will take our joy from us. Sin will take our joy from us. If I could put it this way, this is maybe a simple way to understand it. Sin is like McDonald's. Listen, you know it's not good for you, all right? But their Stein still says billion served, so let's all admit that sometimes we're guilty. You know going there that it's not good for you, and you taste that double cheeseburger with that small fry and that large root beer. I'm just guessing. I don't, I've never ordered there before. Uh, you have that meal, and you know it's bad for you. And for a moment, for like maybe two or three seconds, it tastes good because it's kind of filled up your stomach. But afterwards, it just tastes like sorrow and regret. <laughs> Sin is often the same way, isn't it? We know it's not good for us, and yet we convince ourselves it'll be all right, and we partake in that sin, and it tastes good for a second, but almost immediately after, there's sorrow and there's regret. Turn over with me to Psalm 51. We are familiar with this story. David, a man after God's own heart, a man who did great things for the Lord, and yet we see sin take away the joy from David's life. In Psalm 51, King David has been convicted of his sin with Bathsheba. Not just his sin with Bathsheba, but also the fact that he had murdered Bathsheba's wife. So this is a man after God's own heart who was called this after his sin, by the way. It wasn't beforehand, so it wasn't like God said, you're a man after God's own heart, then David messed up. David was called this long after his sin with Bathsheba. And so he's confronted about his sin by the prophet Nathan, and he's convicted about it. And we see a joy that has disappeared from him. Psalm 51, look with me at verse number one. Psalm 51 and verse number one, and we see the joy that has been stolen from David's life by this sin. Psalm 51, if I can ever get there. Psalm 51 with me here. There we go. So, so David's been confronted about his sin. He says, have mercy upon me, O God. Verse number one, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice." David's unrepentant sin here had caused him to lose his joy. You know, I think sometimes when we read Psalm 51, we think of David sitting there with his, maybe his quill and his paper thinking, purge me with hyssop, wash me throughly. But when he writes this psalm, ladies and gentlemen, he is weeping over his sin. 
It's not a, oh, I really messed up God here. He is brokenhearted and has lost all joy because of unrepentant sin. Then if you look over in verse number 12, he says this. He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Let me share another psalm with you this morning. Look over at Psalm, verse th psalm 32. I'm sorry, Psalm 32. The psalm of David here as well says this. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. See that keeping silence, that idea of that unrepentant sin? Verse 4, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. For I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Verse 7, thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. And look in verse number 11, see how it ends. It says this, Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy. Can I answer the question this, this morning? Has sin robbed you of the joy that you should have, Christian or unsaved person? Has sin robbed you of the joy that God desires for you to have? Unrepentant sin will wax your bones, will wear you down, will be heavy on you. And for some of us, the reason we've lost the joy of our salvation is because of unrepentant sin. Remember 1 John 1, 9 said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? And we say, well, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, God has forgiven us of all of our sins. And that's absolutely true. Listen, when you ask Jesus Christ to save you, the sins that you've committed in the past, the sins that you're committing today, the sins that you will commit in the future are already forgiven. And so what is repentance for? It's never happened to God where all of a sudden someone bows their head, closes their eyes, and says, Lord, forgive me for this. And God says, oh, I didn't realize you did that. And so the repentance is not for God. You remember in the Garden of Eden when God asked this question, where art thou? Was God trying to play hide and seek and couldn't find Adam and Eve? No. God knew exactly where they were. The question instead was for them to examine themselves. Listen, when we repent, when we confess our sins before God, our repentance is not for God to feel better. Instead, it's to give us grace. It's to draw us closer. When we sin, God does not move far from us. We are the ones that move. And so when we confess our sins, the reason we need to confess them is to bring our relationship back right with him, not his relationship with us. And so we've been forgiven for everything before we even ask for it when we've accepted Christ. And yet we're called to confess and repent of our sins to restore that joyful relationship that we can have that God desires for each of us to have. And when we have unrepentant sin in our life, we lose the joy that God has called us to have. We lose the joy that God desires for us to have. And so unrepentant sin 
so often steals our joy. Let me ask you this. What is it you haven't confessed to God that you need to get right with him? Whether it's, a, I need to stop doing this or I need to start doing that. What is it that you're holding back from God that you need to hand over to him so he can restore that joy that he desires for us to have? Now, I always joke with my kids, um, when it comes to uh, you know, when Miss Brandy works and, and I watch the kids, there is nothing that mommy doesn't find out about, right? Like if I get them candy, mommy knows. If I get them ice cream, mommy knows. I mean, I could, get, like, I could take them and let them do whatever they want, and yet mommy's going to find out because we always tell them, you know, there's no secrets between me and mommy, and so you can, you know, you can feel free to tell them. So they always joke about that, and you know, I know that if I do anything, mommy's going to find out anyways. But what I find amazing is this. My kids will tattle on themselves. They'll do something they know they're not supposed to do. They know that they're going to get in trouble for it. And yet, they'll come up to mom and say, hey, mom, I I ate this candy and I know I wasn't supposed to. They tattle on themselves. And I think it's funny, but I think, what do we do with God so often? You know, God knows our faults and failures, right? (laughs) Better than we probably know them ourselves. And yet he desires for us to confess to him to restore that joy. Unrepentant sin is terrible. Psalm 51, David is brokenhearted because he has this unrepentant sin. He he can't sleep. He's lost so much joy in his life. And yet he comes to God and says, restore the joy of my salvation. God, at one point I was so excited for what you were doing in my life, and yet now I feel like I have no joy whatsoever. God, I I know that you are good to me. I know that you are a good God, and yet it seems like I can't have any peace in my life. It may be unrepentant sin. Listen, God already sees and knows everything, and he still loves you. He has an unconditional love for you. All we need to do is to share it with God and ask for forgiveness, and he can and will restore us to the joy of our salvation, even this morning. So unrepentant sin helps us to lose joy. But another way we think we often lose our joy is to allow resentment and bitterness to take hold in our life. Resentment and bitterness, especially in our spiritual life. And I think this happens to many, many seasoned Christians. And I speak to myself as well. Let me tell you what I mean. When we're saved, and we're saved into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and remember I mentioned this before, we're on fire for God, aren't we? We want to tell every single family member, every single friend about what God's doing in our life, and we want to serve him in whatever way we can. You say, I don't have any skills at all, but I'm going to use the lack of skills I have to do whatever I can for God, and we're excited for that. But as we work hard for the Lord, we see that not everybody feels the same compulsion that we do. Not everybody, perhaps, has the same passion that we do. And as the years go by, we get discouraged by the the lack of commitment by many church members. And I'm speaking to myself just as much here. And the old saying becomes, I think, a a self-fulfilling prophecy. That old, you know, 20% of the church does 80% of the work. And we look around, and that old spirit that we had before the Holy Spirit came to reside in us rears its ugly head and we develop this spirit of resentment and bitterness. And the writer of Hebrews warns about this in chapter 12, verse 15. He says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be 
defiled. Listen, when we allow resentment and bitterness to come into our lives, it robs us of the joy from belonging as a child of God. When that resentment and bitterness comes in, it robs us of the joys that come with being a child of God. I heard it said like this one time, bitterness is like swallowing poison and expecting it to kill the other person. You know, so-and-so did that to me, and I'm so angry with them, and yet many times they have no idea about it whatsoever. And so while this bitterness is eating you up, they're going on with their joy-filled life, and it's destroying you. Bitterness is such a dangerous thing to hold on to. Those are just a couple of ways that we can lose our joy by having bitterness, and we need to be mindful of them. And when we find ourselves in that situation, be careful of them. In Philippians chapter 2, we're told to, to let go of that bitterness. We're told to be faithful in ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out whose salvation? Your own salvation. Notice it doesn't say, hey, you need to work out Joe Schmo's salvation. Hey, hey, you need to work out Susie's salvation. Hey, you need to work out John's salvation. It says, work out your own salvation. Don't worry about others. Work out your salvation. Rekindle the joy that comes from your salvation. Don't we spend so much time focusing on other people? You know, I see it in my life with kids so often. Well, so-and-so got to do this, so why can't I have that? Or so-and-so did this, so why can't I do that? And we think it's so aggravating as parents, right? Like, well, you know, Johnny did this, so why can't Susie do this too? Well, because Susie doesn't get the same privileges as Johnny. And we see kids do it all the time. How many times do we do it as adults? Well, God, you've given this person that gift. Or God, why do, why do they get that job when I'm stuck here? Or, or, or God, why does everything seem to work out for that person and not me? God, it seems like I'm serving you all the time. And that person, it doesn't seem like they're doing anything at all. And yet everything seems to work out. When it says to work out your own salvation, stop focusing on how God is working in others' lives and focus upon God and how you're serving him with your life. Working out your salvation, not working for salvation, but because you're saved, it should show fruit in your own life. And so bitterness, unrepentant sin are things that steal joy in our life. And there's just a couple of ways we can lose joy, and we need to be mindful of them. And when we find ourselves in those situations, listen, we can depend upon the Holy Spirit to help us through those times. We should be joyful as Christians, in spite of what's going on around us, in spite of how things don't always work out our way. And I want to share this morning just a few of the reasons for joy this morning. Number two in your notes there, joy found. You know, I'm so thankful that joy doesn't have to stay lost. Joy can be found. You may have lost the joy for what seems like years now, and yet joy can still be found. Joy is not gone forever. If we look to the right sources, we can have joy in our lives today. First of all, joy should spring from our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're looking to any other person for joy, you're going to be disappointed. Listen, if you look to your spouse for all the joy in your life, it's going to be a rough life. My wife has learned at this point, if she looks to me for joy, she is going to be sorely disappointed. Our joy comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of a children's song about this joy, and many of you have probably heard this before. 
that song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And at the end it says this, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. Then it talks about the love of Jesus down in their heart, and it talks about the peace that passeth understanding down in their heart. And when we have the love of Christ, we have joy and peace down in our heart. Notice the little song is just full of theology. The song calls joy a, get this, a possession. It says the joy, not just happiness, but something that we possess deep down in our heart and in our soul. It's something that we grab hold of and possess ourselves. Our relationship with Jesus Christ should bring us joy. You know, I always remember back when we did marriage counseling, and as I've done marriage counseling, we've talked about our relationship should be like a triangle. And you have the husband, and you have the spouse, and at the top and the middle, you have your relationship with Jesus Christ. And as you grow closer to him, you grow closer together. Can I ask you this morning, how is your relationship with Jesus Christ? As I ask myself that very same question, when our relationship with Christ is where it should be, we have a joy and a peace that passes all understanding. It's been amazing to me in the short life that I've lived to see some people go through the most difficult situations, whether it be the loss of a child or a cancer diagnosis, and to see in their lives when everything around them seems like it's falling apart, they still have a joy and a peace. And that comes through having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks, first of all, it's through salvation. It's through what Jesus Christ has done for you and I on the cross. Listen, the video talked about it, how Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago came to earth, lived a sinless, perfect life so that you and I could be saved. You know, Bible makes it clear that all of us are born sinners. And it's not hard to look at children to find out that we're born sinners, right? We're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners. You don't have to teach a child to lie at all, do you? No. You don't have to, hey, okay, here's how it's going to work. Listen, when you take the candy they're not supposed to have, when I ask you if you took it, you say no. Well, mom, but I took the candy. Yes, but you need to tell me the opposite of the truth. None of us taught our kids to lie. They're just really good learners of this. None of us taught our kids how to be mean to their siblings. They're just really good at that, aren't they? Because we are born sinners. The Bible says all of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. All of us have missed the mark. None of us, including myself and pastor, he's not here so I can say this, none of us are perfect. And we think that's pretty bad, right? But it goes on in Romans chapter 6 to say that because we've sinned, we deserve judgment. We deserve eternal judgment in a place called hell. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Not just a physical death, although that's part of it, but a spiritual death where you and I deserve to be separate from God forever. Listen, if you live 60, 70, 80 years, you lived a pretty long life, right? You live 90, 100 years, even longer. But can I tell you, the length of time you live here on earth is just a blink compared to eternity. And the Bible says that because you and I each have sinned, we deserve to be separated from God forever and ever. And as you read that passage of Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it's a pretty sad statement to say, wow, because I've sinned, because I'm a sinner, I deserve that. But it doesn't stop there. It says the wages of sin is death, yes, but it says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What that means is this, 
There is a gift of eternal life, but the only way you can get it is through Jesus Christ. The only way you can get it is by accepting what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. Accepting the fact that he came here, as I mentioned, lived a sinless, perfect life, and died upon a cross, rose three days later so that you and I could have salvation for eternity. That you and I could live forever, not in a terrible place called hell, but in a wonderful, perfect place, a sinless place called heaven. And the only way we can ever get that gift is because of what Jesus Christ did. And then it goes on to say this in Romans 10, 13, Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What I love about that whosoever is you can plug your name in there. Take your name, put it in that place of whosoever. Listen, there is no qualifier to being able to be saved. That's what I love about salvation. It is so simple. I am a very simple person. You've listened to pastor preach and you've listened to me preach, and I usually use much smaller words. But salvation is so simple, yet we as adults have a tendency to overcomplicate it. Well, there's got to be something that I got to do, or you know, money that I got to give, or I got to you know, do X, Y, Z so I can be saved. But he says, whosoever believeth shall be saved. In other words, all you need to do in order to have salvation is this. Believe upon Jesus Christ and call upon him. And you can be saved today. You can go from death to life. And that is the beginning of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that we are either a, a child of light or a child of darkness. We're either a child of God, or can I put it this way? We are the enemy of God. And we can change in a split second when we make that decision to believe what Jesus Christ has done for us and accept that. Listen, you can't go to church enough to be saved. Although you should come to church, right? You can't give enough in the offering to be saved, although we should be willing to sacrifice for God. You can't be a good enough person to outweigh your bad. Because let's be honest, most of us, if we were honest and weighed our good and bad, we'd realize that our bad usually outweighs our good. Not only that, but in heaven there is no sin at all. And so you say, well, I lived a pretty good life, but I had this one mess up. It's not good enough. And so the only way we can have salvation is by accepting what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that is where our relationship begins with Jesus Christ. But can I encourage you, that's not where it ends. Listen, I want you, if you've never accepted Christ, I want you to make that decision today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. But for those of us that have accepted Christ, don't stop there in your relationship. Don't just get the, so to speak, fire insurance. Well, I'm not going to hell, so I'm good to go grow in that relationship with Jesus Christ. As a child grows from tiny to large, as a child grows from a, a little kid that learns to walk to an adult that is able to, to have a job and to work hard, so we as Christians should grow as well in our relationship with Christ. We should begin with the milk of the word, right? Those things that are perhaps simple to understand, but then getting into the meat and growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, in order to grow in a relationship, you need to spend time. Those of you in here that are married, you didn't, well, hopefully, you didn't meet your wife one day and get married the next. You learned about that person over time and grew close to that person and realized that they were the one God had set for you. And you know more and more about them the more time you spend with them. So it should be in our relationship with Christ. Listen, you are not going to do everything God has called you to do and be everything God has called you to be if you spend one day a week with him. Well, God, I'll give you Sunday mornings, but that's it. Our relationship with Christ needs to grow, and that's where we can get our joy. It should spring from our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And so we're joyful because we possess Jesus Christ. We're heirs to all that he's promised to us. And so our relationship with Christ brings joy, but we're also joyful because we understand truth. We understand truth. You know, ever since creation, people have been searching for, for truth. And in the world that we live in today, many have this idea that what's true for you may not be true for somebody else. And what's true for that person, you may have a different truth in your mind. This idea that you can have your own truth and someone else can have a completely different truth. And since creation, people have been searching for the truth. You remember in the beginning when Satan tempted Eve by casting doubt on what God had told him. Did God really say that? Pilate, when questioning Jesus before he was crucified, asked this question, what is truth? Folks, we know the truth because it's in his word. And can I say it? The truth has made us free. The truth that's contained in the word of God, the truth that is the word of God, can set us free. Uh, Number one, from the penalty of sin, that's salvation we're talking about, but the power of sin as well. Listen, before we accept Christ, we are, if I could put it this way, doomed. We are slaves to sin, aren't we? Almost stuck in a rut and in a circle where we just fail over and over and over. And yet when we accept Christ as our Savior and we read the Word of God, we can be victors over temptation. We don't have to be victims anymore. And so we know the truth, and all that we know and understand about God should make us joyful. Listen, you know someone that's in the Word of God all the time. They have a joy because they know truth And they know who God is from their relationship and through the word of God. And it brings them a joy that goes beyond anything circumstances can bring. Truth, the word of God, should bring us joy. I'm going to be honest. Some mornings, maybe you wake up, and I know I wake up, and we know we need to read the word of God. And sometimes we don't feel like it, do we? And in those moments, we need to follow truth instead of our emotions. There are times where I wake up in the morning and I don't feel like going to work. But I know that the truth is, if I don't go to work, my boss is going to fire me and then I won't be able to pay my bills. And at that moment, truth trumps emotions. You know, in this world that we live in today, so often we get this idea, follow your heart. Isn't that amazing? You know, all these people you know, say, hey, follow your heart, follow your emotions. What does the Bible say about that? The heart is deceitfully wicked. Uh, follow that deceitfully wicked thing. No, follow truth. Listen, when you read the word of God and it contradicts what you feel, listen to the word of God. When you read the word of God and it contradicts what everybody else is saying, follow the word of God. If I say something from up here on the stage and you look at the Bible and say, it's not what it says, then don't follow me, follow the word of God. Because listen, This is truth. The only authority I have to even stand up here and say anything at all is the fact that it comes from the Word of God. And so our relationship with Jesus Christ brings joy, but knowing truth brings joy. And so are you struggling to have joy? Get into His Word. Get into it and find that that truth, those nuggets of truth, those promises that God has given that bring us joy in the midst of trials and difficulties. Back to the beginning of the sermon, Jesus said that He told us all these things so that our joy may be full. So that no matter what our external circumstances are, we can and should be a joyful people. Paul said it best in Philippians chapter 4 when he said that he has learned to be content no matter what his circumstances. Paul had a joy that, as the kids' song stated, 
was down in his heart to stay. And so my question to you this morning as we talk about joy is, how full is your glass? Is it the trickle? Or are you overflowing with joy? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word, Lord.